What is going on? It is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieved stardom. On this episode, we hung out with Dawson of the band The Ongoing Concept over Zoom video. Dawson was born in Canada and raised in Idaho right on the Canadian border. And he said he had a lot of family still in Canada. His grandfather owned the gas station food mart just on the other side of the border. So people would come across, get gas, get cheese. Apparently it's really expensive in Canada and go back across the border. But he did come from a very musical household. His brother Kyle and his brother Parker are also in the ongoing concept. So he talks about how the three of them ended up jamming together. He talks about writing his first songs, never learned any cover songs, which is really interesting. We talk about that a bit. He tells us about their first EP, What Is My Destiny, getting signed to Solid State while his youngest brother, Parker, was, I think, in eighth grade at the time when they got signed. He tells us about putting out their first album, Saloon, which is completely recorded and ready to go right when they signed to Solid State. Handmade was their next record. He talks about that one where they built the instruments that were used on the recording, the guitars and the drums built out of a tree that they chopped down. So that was a really, really fascinating story. He talks about building the drums and the guitars and how they had to throw the wood in a microwave to get it to dry out. Just all these little things that they had to think of while putting together the instruments and then obviously recording the album. And he talks a lot about the new album, which is called Again, and all the songs on the album are named after previous songs. They're all callbacks, not covers or reimagined versions of them, but just callbacks to some of their early songs. So amends again, feel again, failures and fakes again, and so on. So we hear about that album as well. And you can watch our interview with Dawson on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It'd be amazing if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it'd be incredible if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with the ongoing concept. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to chat. Uh, this is about you and your journey in music, and we'll talk about the, the new album as well. Perfect. Sounds great. Killer, man. So uh, first off, I read the band started in Idaho. Is that where you were born and raised? Um, yeah. I mean, I was born in Canada, uh, Creston, BC. So I am Canadian. Oh. So it's my three brother or my two brothers. Sorry. There's three of us. Me and my sure. two brothers. Um, we're all Canadian, but we we were born like 10 miles from the border and we grew up in a small little town called Port Hill, Idaho, which is literally a border town. My grandpa used to run the general store and the gas station, which was, I'm not even kidding. Like this is America. This is his gas station. And then right, right alongside only like you could throw a rock to the other side of, of the country. I guess you could say into Canada from his gas station. That was kind of like how we grew up. And we were just constantly going back between the border, going to Canada because all my extended family lived there. But my parents, um, who were also born in Canada, were able to get uh, dual citizenship through my grandpa, who was American. And uh, this this all happened when I was like 9, 10, 11 years old. And so okay. I got grandfathered in to uh, being um, a dual citizen. So I live in Idaho and am a, an actual American citizen. 
Um, but I, I now live in a city called Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, which uh, I've been here. I mean, I've been here most of my life, but I used to live in a smaller town called Rathdrum for most of my childhood. I went to school there and everything. But uh, uh, since I got married and stuff, I moved just like 10 miles um, in a different direction to Coeur d'Alene, which is kind of the big city here, uh, I guess you could say. It's okay. Not, it's not big, though. It's like 40,000 people. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's not a is lot. It- yeah, that's interesting that you were like on a on a border town like that, especially to to Canada. I grew up in San Diego. I was a border town in Mexico, so totally the other side of things. In interesting. A little, yeah, a little bit more dangerous, but um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny too because like the reason why my grandpa did the store and the gas station was because people would actually come down from Canada to get gas because gas was like two dollars cheaper uh, in America than it was in Canada, so they would get. They would get a lot cheaper gas and then they could also buy certain foods like cheese has always been expensive in Canada. So they'd come get gas, get cheese and then go back into Canada. And it was only like, you know, 10 miles from their city. So it was, it was just it was a great going to the grocery store, so to speak, but yeah. you're just going across the border. Exactly. Yeah, that's was- so funny. We uh, we used to go down to Mexico. There was a corner. There was a store like your grandfather's in, in Mexico, though, and you didn't have to pay the sales tax and everything was much cheaper. So you could. And you could buy beer at 18. So you could just go down there and, be, you know, you could get beers for, for cheap and people would go down there and, and buy those type of things. You, they would ask you when you were leaving, they're like, are you gonna, are you coming to Mexico or are you going back to the States? And you would just go, oh, Mexico. And I'm like, okay. And then the, you wouldn't get the sales tax and you'd get cheaper and then you just walk back across the border. Yeah, because they don't think they communicate with each other, the two borders. So they're not going to like track that you said that you're coming into Mexico. Um, no. And- you know what I mean? So that it's so there's so many like weird loopholes in all of that. <laughs> oh yeah, it's weird. It's crazy, but it's it's interesting to hear the other side of it, like how you you know people would come down to buy cheese and gas because it was cheaper. We'd go, you know, people would go across to Mexico to get beer and <laughs> cigarettes yep. and stuff. And you know that the, <laughs> the opposite did happen too, in the sense that in Canada you could buy, I think, alcohol at the time. It's I think it's 21 now, but you could buy alcohol, I think, at like 19. So there was a lot of people from the states coming up to over Canada to, to do the same thing. But I think the thing was is that they started cracking down on that. And mm-hmm. if you were under the age of 21 coming through the border with alcohol, then they would basically like fine you or put you in jail. It's something crazy like that. I can't even remember, but it wasn't, it wasn't similar to your story with the Mexico thing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they, they definitely, I'm sure cracked down hard on that, especially later when they did the, the ID cards. Like you used to just be able to walk through and just, they would ask, Oh, you know, where are you from? And you say, you know, California, United States. And they go, okay, come on through. But you know, it's much different now than it was. This is years, you know, 20 years ago. Or 9-11 or something too. It's probably yeah, it was yeah, it was a bit different. But um that's awesome. So you grew up there and how did you I mean, obviously your two brothers are in your band as well, and you come from a musical household. Three of you are musical, obviously. Yeah, uh, my parents are very musical. My my whole my whole extended family is very musical. My grandpa on my dad's side was very musical. Um, and my dad used to play in a band with with him. So it was like my grandpa and his son, you know, they used to oh, do wow. stuff. Uh, it was like polka, like old person type music, uh, not really anything that was rock and roll, um, but they would play um, like dance halls and like legions and stuff in Canada. Um, 
throughout like BC and Alberta and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was like kind of their thing. And then my mom's side is very musical too. My, my grandpa, my mom's side was, was um, a guitar player and a uh, violin player. And my, my grandma was a very good piano player. And uh, so then my mom is also a piano player and all of her siblings are musical. So all of my cousins are incredibly musical uh, so it's just our whole family is built around not only music, but creativity. My grandma was an, a, an amazing poet and uh, she wrote books and stuff. So very creative. And I think all of that trickles down to our family. And we just were uh, uh, like brought into this incredibly musical family right off the right off the bat. And I mm-hmm. I don't people have asked me a lot of times like, when did you want to be a musician? Or it's like I never had a choice. It's, it's like it's like walking or or breathing or drinking water like it was it's so ingrained in my being i don't know what else there is in life other than music so um yeah very very musical family very cool did you start off in piano like was it I, no i actually started off on uh drums because my dad's a drummer so oh cool i was really young um like i don't know if you've seen our unwanted music video but i brought in some like old vhs footage of like uh it was it's me like banging on like yeah that was you okay i wasn't sure it's it because the thing is is that there isn't a lot of footage of parker really um because he's six years younger than i am and and we didn't really do as many family videos at the when he started to get to an age of playing drums but in 1993 1992 1994 and so, yeah, I, I started out on drums, I, you know, Lincoln logs on like pots and pans and stuff. And then, uh, you know, I, I got my first drum set when I was like four. Uh, my, and so I started like playing with my dad. He would just play, have his drum set up next to me and we just like play with each other. And then I started doing like little talent shows, you know, like nothing crazy, just fun little like things here and there. And people always were like, oh, he's so good. He's only four years old, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone just assumed that I would be like the prodigy drummer, but that wasn't the case because Parker came to the mix years later and destroyed both me and Kyle. Cause then Kyle started playing drums. So here we are battling who's the better drummer. And then we both, my mom started having us go to piano lessons, which actually was with my grandma. So mm-hmm. my grandma taught me and Kyle piano for a few years. And then we, we ended up moving from, you know, that small town on the border to Coeur d'Alene, which is about a hundred miles South. And from there, we started still doing piano lessons with various teachers up until I was like maybe nine or 10 years old. And uh, Kyle really enjoyed piano the most. And so he kind of gravitated to that. And I was really not into, I wasn't, I I love drums, but I wasn't really into drums and I really wanted to play guitar. But my mom thought that piano was still, (laughs) still the best option. And it's so funny because she was just like, you need to learn piano. You need to learn piano. And I was like, I hate piano. It's so dumb. Uh, <laughs> I want to play guitar. I want to be like Van Halen, you know, because I was like, I was listening to that kind of stuff when I was kind of that age, Van Halen and Boston, kind of those classic rock kind of bands. And I really just wanted to play guitar. And I was able to, I was able to transition to kind of playing guitar by picking up bass guitar in band class, like in band sixth, sixth and seventh and eighth grade they had the option to play bass guitar. And so I I did, yeah, it's really weird. Uh, So I did that. So I got a bass guitar and then through that, I like got good at that. And then um, my parents were like, okay, we'll just get you a guitar. So I got a guitar and I started playing and 
And that's kind of where that started. Uh, I stopped playing piano. I mean, I still play it and everything, but I just really wanted to play guitar. And yeah, so we, and then and at the same time, Parker is way younger than me, picking up mm-hmm. the, a little bit later in life than we were. So he was, I think, six or seven when he started playing drums because before then he was very much into uh, cars. Like he just loved cars. Like, and he's he's a mechanic now, so it totally makes sense. Oh wow, that's crazy! Yeah. Okay. So he like not like a licensed mechanic, but he he knows just how to do all that stuff. Right now, he's really into tractors, so he is re refurbishing he buys like old like 1940s tractors and then refurbishes them and then resells them it's really cool that is cool so anyways we all just had our different things uh but yeah i gravitated to guitar and then you know we were all three of us started like playing together parker on drums me on guitar kyle on on keyboards and this was like 2006 2007 time and uh we were kind of like trying to find people in our school that could sing to maybe like, you know, make an actual band. And uh, we couldn't really find anyone. We'd, we'd have some people over and like do some tryouts. And I ended up finding myself singing what I wanted them to sing so that they could sing it back to me. Uh And after a while I started going, why, why am I asking to have a singer when technically I am singing the parts anyway? better than the person that's coming into auditions. So that was where like my singing started to develop. Uh, and it kind of just was like a, I don't know, it, none of it really came all at once. It just kind of like formulated it over time. And then I had been really good friends with all of us have been great friends with TJ because his family has three boys as well. And they're the exact same age as us. So oh, cool. TJ's older brother, Jake is the same age as me. TJ's the same age as Kyle. And then they have a younger son, Cooper, who's the same age as Parker. So we grew up together right down the road with the exact same age groups of everybody. Mm-hmm. So we were just family friends for like years and years and years and years. And uh, we brought TJ in and that, that's kind of just, that's kind of how the band kind of became the ongoing concept. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, that's, I guess that's the history. I know it's a little, yeah. no, 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 that's, that was awesome. I, I just have some, Quick follow-up questions, actually. Um, so when you ha- were having these singers audition, what were you in high school at that time? Yeah, or, like, yeah. like 10th grade. So. Okay, so 10th grade. And so uh, Parker was in what, middle school or not even? Yet. Iowa was in middle school. Parker was still in yeah. elementary. elementary school. So he yeah. was playing drums with you guys as, in elementary school. Um, and then you were, did you, were, were you writing your own songs? Uh, yeah, yeah, we've, we've never been a band that covers music. I, I don't know a single cover song. Like I've, I've, I've said this on a couple other uh, sh- like interview type shows. Um, Cause I always ask like, you know, like what song do you have to cover or this and that? And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. And I, and I always bring up this, this thing that when I was in high school, you know, we'd have like, you know, parties or whatever. And someone would always bring a guitar and then they'd always be like Dawson play a song. And I didn't know any cover songs. So then I would like play one of my own original songs. And of course, you know, no one really gives two shits about, <laughs> about, about the, the original song I wrote. So then the one guy <laughs> comes in that knows, you know, Jack Johnson's banana pancakes. And all of a sudden all the girls are like, oh my God, you're so good. Oh, you know? sure. So, so that it was so frustrating for me when I was in high school because I just couldn't, I couldn't like get. I couldn't get any girls because I didn't know how to do cover music and I didn't care enough to like learn cover songs. And I don't know, it's just always been a thing about all of us. We just like writing our own material. So yeah, like back then we were, it was all like 
it was very progressive music. We were really into dream theater when we were younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we were writing like 13, 14, 15 minute long songs or just super progressive. Uh, <laughs> and we hadn't even like discovered heavy music yet. So that was, that was kind of where our band was at. And this is, you know, like I said, like I was in 10th grade, maybe even ninth grade at the time, very young, uh, didn't really know a lot about all the different types of music out there. But I remember at a family reunion, um, my cousin showed me August Burns Red for the first time. And it was like right when messengers had come out. So I think he showed us like the 11th hour, some of those crazy, you know, like classic ABR songs. And I remember just going, holy crap, like this is what I want to play. This is so heavy. This is so Mm -hmm. intense. And so that was when we started to shift. And then over the course of, you know, about a year we transitioned from like the progressive side with, and then started to get into like the heavier side. And we didn't have a screamer yet. I didn't know how to scream. Kyle didn't, didn't know anything about vocals. And so crazy enough, Parker, if you listen to our first EP, Parker is actually the one screaming at 10 years old. He's the one doing all the screams and I'm the one singing. So if anyone, well, what about like the, the really like growly vocals, like on that first EP, what is my destiny? Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, the, like the first, like the second song in the record, I think it is. Um, like fa- there's a song. Hold called- on tighter, my friend. Maybe that's all, Parker. All oh, Parker. really? Wow. Yeah, there. I think we might have had someone do like a layer. I think the producer guy that we went with, because I wasn't producing music yet. I think he might have done like a lower layer along with Parker, but Parker, like ninety percent, is it's all him. Except that's for- wild. I got to go back and listen to it. That's that's yeah, insane. You, you can find um like an old behind the scenes video, I think on our YouTube channel of it. Um, okay. I'll have to look. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. It was crazy. And Car- Parker does not know how to scream. Now it was like right before he hit puberty. And then right as soon as he did, he <laughs> completely just <laughs> lost, lost it. it. And he has no desire to even consider going back to that. So it was a very weird like time of our band um but then after that you know kyle started to figure out how to scream and that's you know th- the following year we started recording errors for errors before bullets and that's kind of that all started so okay the first ep is i i think it's awesome but it's it's interesting because you have like two acoustic songs in a row that are just very different than the other ones on the album yeah i i that was like because we were we that's that comes back to the dream theater thing we really enjoyed having a variety of stuff and dream theater oftentimes would put all of those elements into a single song the song would be like 12 minutes long but uh-huh. you heavy metal like a clean quiet section and then like you know a crazy solo section and like all of these factors inside of one song well we just wanted to do kind of that but spread it out inside of an ep instead so i think from that it was a mixture of combining like our love for like the metalcore style of music, but also like the the variations and the the different styles that a band like Dream Theater would bring into stuff, or just progressive metal bands in general. Um, and so that was a combination of kind of just creating a whole EP built around that idea, and then just having individual songs instead. Yeah, it was cool. It was really cool just to kind of hear the beginning, and then it went into these two beautiful acoustic songs, and it kind of picks up yeah. again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's been yeah. so long since I've heard that album um, I or EP. I, I should go probably back and listen to it. But <laughs> yeah, I do remember there was like, Please Never Leave Me and What Is My Destiny were those two songs you're talking yeah. about. 
last song called Goodbye So Long, which is, you know, um, a, a song that we've brought back into all of our albums uh, in a way, because it's kind of like a classic callback song that we bring into everything. Mm-hmm. And the new album is like all callback, right? Like every record or every track is called, you know, yeah, whatever. In a, in a way. Again. Yeah. In a way. But it's not the same song, but it's. Uh, yeah, I want to I want to hear about that because it's really interesting to me. But real quick before before we dive into the album, I was just curious to hear about, you know, you guys get signed to Solid State and were you you must have been like kind of out of you. You were out of high school at that point. But was Parker still in high school? And what was what did that look like? How, tell me how you guys ended up getting signed. I think we I think I had been out of high school for two years. So I was 20, almost 21. Kyle and TJ were just graduating that year. Parker was in, I don't know, eighth grade, maybe. Wow. Uh, so yeah, we signed at an early age and, um, yeah, we really didn't know what we were doing. We just, we were just so stoked to be signed in general. Uh, but it was definitely tough on Parker because it's like, you know, for a while we were trying to record or sorry, trying to tour with, um, with him and it was just rough because he's trying to do homeschool for a while and and uh it just didn't work out and i think at the end of the day he just really wanted to grow up as a normal person in school you know and so we would get tour drummers um here and there to to fill in for tours when he couldn't make it but it was uh it wasn't it was crazy i mean i look back on that and it's like man we were just kids at the time <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. yeah. And then was that based on like, were you guys playing around your your hometown quite often? Like, did you get a fan base? Like, how did Solid State end up finding you? Um, yeah, we played a lot. Like, the thing about Idaho is, especially Coeur d'Alene in this area, is there's not really any venues to play here. Mm-hmm. So we transitioned over to Spokane, Washington, which is about a 40 minute drive. Oh, uh, yeah. I have a buddy from Spokane. Okay, yeah, it's a it's a b- pretty big city, so we're we're not too far from like a major, basically a major city, and so that's where all the venues are at. So we would play the local Spokane scene a lot, like you know, for several years we were playing probably like one show a month or so, which might not seem like a lot, but the thing is, you don't really want to over. You don't want to keep playing there, yeah. If you play there every week, then yeah. people aren't going to come anymore, or they yeah. will maybe once a month. Exactly. So then we'd we'd venture out. There's like a few different places like Tri-Cities, uh, Oregon or Washington. I can't remember if it's Oregon. I think it's a mixture of two. We'd like travel and do these like regional kind of shows. Um, but then I think what really put us in that arena was when we filmed the music video for Airs Before Bullets. And that's mm-hmm. where I think Solid State found us. And they really okay. doing and we on top of that too, we were actually writing and had basically completed our first album saloon mm-hmm. before solid state even approached us. And I think that was like the winning ticket was the fact that not only did they, were they interested in us, they didn't have to do any work because the album was already finished. And so um, that, I think sure. that's why they pulled the trigger on us. So a, did then they listen to it and go, okay, yeah, this is something we want to put out. Oh yeah. Yeah. They didn't yeah. Even know that we had a new record. They were just like, Hey, we really like you guys. Would you guys want to talk? You know, and we're like, yeah, not only that, we have a new record that's like basically done. It just needs to be mixed and mastered and stuff. And they're like, awesome. Well, that just helps seal the deal. So, yeah. Wow. If any bands are looking for a good way to get your foot in the door, have an album ready (laughs) before you uh, try to reach out. And that's the thing is that, you know, we never we never sent any 
you know, emails or demos to any labels. We, we always felt like we would either just do it DIY and maybe someone would find us. And if they didn't, we would just keep doing things DIY. And I think that's a lot of times how labels look at bands is they want to see the, the inner effort that a band is putting in opposed to like a band expecting to get signed to then have a label for some reason, do everything for them, which is probably not how labels really work these days. I was going to say the whole game has changed now. Completely different. Like it, and it was changing a lot at that time too. And I think we were just a band that was very do it yourself mentality. And they just liked that whole idea. Right. Because they have to do less work. They're like, Oh, what these guys are doing is working and we like what they're doing. So we can help them out with some funding or whatever, getting their name around more, but you've already proven that you, you can build a fan base and and record great music and, and do all these things despite them. Exactly. With that second album, um, homemade, you made all these instruments out of a tree that you guys chopped down. Tell me about this. Yeah, with that one, yeah, we... we it were, just blows my mind. I listen to it. I'm like, how are you getting these ripping guitar solos out of something well, that you pulled out of I'm, a tree? <laughs> some of that stuff, like especially the guitars, you know, they were built, but they weren't built... Like, we didn't build the necks on the guitars. Right, uh, just the bodies though, right? Yeah, but like, I would say the guitars were actually the easiest part. Um it was the drums that were tough because the guitars, you just take any shape you want. You just buy a template online and you just cut it out to what you want and then f- just do the math on where you got to put the pickups. And then it wasn't like super hard. You you can just watch some YouTube tutorials. The drums mm-hmm. though, we had no idea how to do it because we had never seen any tutorials on how to cut down a tree and then dry. Like the, the hardest part about that whole thing was drying the wood. Uh, we had no idea that we were going to run into that issue. And we kind of just presented this idea to solid state as a joke. And they were like, no, you guys got to do that now. That's the coolest thing we've ever heard of. You have mm-hmm. to do it. And I'm like, oh man, I think I, I don't think I put myself in a good situation. I'm I'm going to really be kicking myself in about a few months when I realize how hard this is going to be. And it yeah. was. So the hard, like, what, how's that album coming? You're like, we're still building the drums, man. That, that was, <laughs> we had to, I think we wanted to get the album done like in just by December of 2014 and it ended up not getting done till May of 2015. So it was like six months of delays because we just couldn't, we couldn't, we had to either focus on the building or we had to focus on the writing and it was hard to do. And then recording, like we were doing everything and it was like, we can't really record anything until the drums are finished, you know? So it was like all of this weird, like demoing, trying to present something so the label knew we're actually writing music, but then also trying to finish the instruments so that we could write or sorry, so we could record everything. It was a nightmare. And the biggest hiccup we had was the drying of the wood, because when you cut down a tree, it's got, it's just very moist. Like trees are living, you know, things. And so, you know, usually when a tree gets cut down, it sits um, to dry out for one to five years And it's like, how do you speed that process up? We had no idea. So we kind of thought, hey, what if we microwaved all of the pieces of wood that we were cutting for the drum set? And, you know, we we did some research on how microwaves work. Uh, You know, they vibrate uh, moisture. It was basically how it happens until it becomes like hot. That's why you put, you know, water in the microwave and it starts to get hot. It's because it's, actually like vibrating at such a high frequency 
Uh, so we were like, well, maybe wow, we I didn't realize that. Yeah, that's that's how it works. It's just vibrating um, molecules, basically, at a very high rate that it creates friction. And um, so that's I mean, and there's a lot of things about microwaves, like people complain about plastic and microwaves, like there's it's not as dangerous as some people might think. Uh, mm-hmm. because you're not actually like melting anything. There's nothing, there's nothing, it's not, it's not heat, it's actual vibration. So if something doesn't have anything to vibrate, it's not going to do, it. it's just going to be like a loose thing. There's nothing there to, to, but water molecules are very, very, so everything has water in it. Mm-hmm. Um, plastic doesn't have water in it though, but that's why you like take a, you t- you put like a burrito and half of it is super Wet. And then some of it's super cold or it starts, yeah. to, you know, it's just, it's, it's all water molecules and it's just how you heat it correctly. So with the wood, um, what it was doing was, yeah, it was heating the wood from the inside out and it was crazy. So you'd put them, you put the wood in for like six minutes. It'd be steaming. Um, you let it sit, be very hot. You don't want it to start on fire and it would start on fire if we left it in the microwave too long. We just let it sit, let it cool down and then put it back in the microwave for another six minutes and my brother came up with like a calculate. My brother's very smart. Kyle is very smart at math. Um, he's going to school to be like a math teacher or something, but he, he figured out some weird calculus where he could take the size of the wood and figure out what weight that wood had to be for the wood to be dry enough to be at the dryness that you would buy like that same piece of wood at Home Depot. Cause it's all about moisture levels. Like every piece of wood you buy at the store has, has a certain moisture level that it's at. So mm-hmm. how do you get that wood to be like, you know, good to use. Cause if it's too moist, it will start to crack when it starts to harden. Cause you're putting so much stress on it. When you put the whole drum set together, you don't want it to crack. Right. It's too dry. It will also crack because it's too dry. So you have to find that perfect middle ground. So he figured out a formula of how to put all those different weights together. And so we would sit there, microwave the wood, and then take, I literally have a scale right here. It was this UPS scale that I found and we would just put the wood on here and it would uh, weigh it. And we'd just figure out the grams or the ounces that Kyle had come up with this, with his calculus stuff. And we would just sit there all day microwaving wood. Cause there's literally like, I think the bass drum alone had 50 pieces of wood and you, you put them into a trapezoid piece and it's called stave or stav drum set build and it becomes uh-huh. like a puzzle piece and then you you basically put them all together and it creates a circle and so there's like 50 pieces we had the microwave just for the bass drum it took so long and then we I was wondering about that How, like you must have had to chop the wood pretty small to get it into the microwave yeah the, the bass drum was like the biggest one and it was like the biggest that the microwave was which was like 24 inches or 22 inches or something right mm-hmm. so um Maybe it was 18 inches. I don't remember, but that was, it barely fit. We were very lucky on that. It just all kind of worked out perfectly, but it was very, very long and tedious. And I, I would do it again. Cause I know how to do it now, but it, it just takes forever. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool though. What a great, that's such a great idea. I mean, I was yeah. reading about that. I'm like trying to figure out, I'm listening to it. I'm like, how would they even do that? And then what you guys just decided, okay. Was the tree on the cover the one that you cut down or that was just an image? No, that that was that tree was huge. Like it looked massive. I was like, okay, they can build a whole band out of this. Easy. Build a whole house out of that tree. That was that tree was a standalone tree that's like kind of like two miles from our house in this big field. 
And uh, it used to be a spot where like lots of people would sell drugs. It was like the drug meetup place. And the so drug tree. Yeah, it was like the drug tree. Uh, <laughs> like and, drive uh, out to the tree. We'll all be yeah, hanging out there. Literally, it was kind of on the middle of nowhere where like there wasn't a lot of traffic and stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, we just wanted to show something like. like yeah. That. But, yeah, yeah, the imagery. Sure. Yeah, I wasn't sure if that was the actual one. I was like, wow, that's a big, that probably took half a day just to cut the tree down. It would have taken forever. Yeah, no, the tree we cut down was just like in a, just another part of our area that was just in kind of an area where like a lot of Christmas trees, I think, are cut down from. So Got it. Okay. Yeah. So with this new album, it's all of the, the, the songs are all based off of older songs. And then it's again, can you tell me, tell me about this? Yeah. So. I, I wanted, I could I didn't know what the idea of again was going to be. Uh, we started writing this like back in 2009, like the end of 2019, early 2020 was when we started coming back together as a band and writing again. And we spent a lot of time writing our f- song feel again, which took like a long time. We were just trying to, we weren't working all the time. We were coming over like once a week and just kind of bullshitting and hanging out and having fun. Um, and it took us like five months to write that song. And at the time we were just like, well, let's just do a single. But then it started to f- come into like an album idea. Like the label was interested in it being an album. And so we we're like, okay, let's start writing like a legit record. And I still had no idea what we we're going to do for like an actual album concept. And right. what I ended up doing was just because I do this a lot, but this time I really wanted to do it. I went back into all my old sessions on pro tools from like my old computer that had saloon and handmade and places on it still and i was just going through it and kind of like picking apart a lot of our songs and even going into old demo tracks of old skeleton songs that we didn't end up using because usually when we write a record we have like 30 different skeletons and some of them just get thrown out instantly because they're just not the vibe or Mm -hmm. they some, some of them grow to be like an actual you know wholesome song um and uh anyways we just don't use them so i was going through a lot of this old stuff and i started to try to get the vibe that we were in at the time i really wanted to make sure fans you know felt the og ongoing concept in this new album opposed to something so brand new that it didn't feel like our old band anymore especially Mm -hmm. with guys coming back and so through a lot of that i was like you know still writing our new record but having having issues with trying to find like phrasing or lyrics or melody stuff to it and i started i remember one time when i was going through the sessions of the song unwanted and i was trying to work on on one of our new songs which now is unwanted again i remember trying to think of like how can i do a cool melody and i was listening to the old song and i was like man would it be cool if i like did you know I want to fall in love. I want to fall in love with you. You know, that kind of like run. And I was like, but use those lyrics. Oh, that could work. I mean, that could be a callback to that song. Mm-hmm. And over time, it started to be like, I would be going on other sessions and be like, oh, this would be really cool to add like this phrasing to Melody again, the new song I'm writing right now. And after a while, I was like, it'd be really cool if we just did all callbacks. And on top of that, um, you know, our band was constantly, you know, 
the the word again came in conversation a lot because we'd always be like, it's so sick to be writing again. It's so cool to be back, you know, working to get together again. Um, and it just felt so right that we're going back in time in a way, calling back some of these old songs, doing like part twos of them, I guess you could say. Uh, and there's they're not reimagined. They're not covers. They're completely new, new songs, mm-hmm. but they're they're bringing back in a way that just makes you kind of want to go back and listen to the the first version and see how that one sound, you know? So uh, that's kind of where the idea came from. And I mean, not, I think all song, I think all the songs have references to, to all the old songs, but there are some songs that have more callbacks than others. Some have hardly anything and they're just almost a brand new song with the title of an older song. Um, but yeah, it just kind of became what it is. I don't, it wasn't really like any epiphany. It was just kind of more at the end of the day, we just were like, man, the word again just seems so fitting for everything we're doing. That's cool. Yeah. It, when I first saw it, I was wondering if it was just like reimagined versions of the old ones. And I'm like, oh, no, this isn't the same song. Whatsoever. I think a lot of people think that. And I'm trying really hard to use the right verbiage to to make sure people know that they're not covers. Luckily, though, we've really I've only really had a few people think that they're reimagined and I usually will see it on like a YouTube comment or like a Reddit comment somewhere. And usually someone will instantly reply and be like, no, these are not reimagined or covers. These are brand new songs. So they're, they're just helping us out. Answer. That's great. Yeah. It's cool that our fans are like really into what we do and know that we, these are like, it's a brand new album, brand new songs. Um, But because we are the ongoing concept, we're always going to add, something that breaks the fourth wall in one way or another. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Cause I well, right away when you, when you listen to the songs, the, the first lyrics, it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah, this isn't the same thing whatsoever. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's not like you're using the same first phrase of the song, like amends. Like that was a, like when I first heard that one, I'm like, okay, like it, this doesn't sound the same whatsoever in the beginning. And then it's okay. The it's totally different. Cause the, the, the first version has that kind of like um like uppity intro like the vocal part and then the, the lyrics right off the bat aren't the same so you're like okay this is different so that I, when i was th- listening to the record i was going back and, and checking out some of the old ones i'm like okay it doesn't sound like any of these whatsoever are you know the same yeah and i, I feel like it's it's not something that's brand new either like periphery i think just came out with a, a record and a song that I listened to and they had like three callbacks to three songs from their past albums. And I remember everyone being like, Oh, it's so cool that periphery is doing all these callbacks to their older, some of their older songs. So it's not something that's like a new concept. Uh, and, and dream theater used to do this stuff all the time. They would have a really like iconic riff that they would have in some of their albums. And then like three albums later, all of a sudden they just pop that riff right back in and it'd be like <laughs> such a throwback to the old thing. And you'd be like, that's so sick. So then all of a sudden you're like, you're, you're finding yourself going back to listening to that song just because you heard it in their new album. And that was kind of the thing too, is I, I figured since we're on hiatus for so long, a lot of people that will become fans of us will not know our old music. And so I feel like this was kind of a passive way of making new fans kind of have a reason to go back and listen to some of our older music. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause it's like, that's a really cool song from again. I want to hear what like, like the original unwanted song sounded like. So it's kind of just, I figured it was a good marketing tactic at the same time. <laughs> no, definitely for sure. Cause it got, it got me listening to the old songs to, to see if they were the same thing or not. Like, Oh, I haven't, I, I don't remember this one. 
going back listening okay yeah it's not the same thing okay yeah 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 it is a it is a brilliant <laughs> brilliant concept <laughs> um so you got you guys were on hiatus and then was there something that made you all decide hey let's let's just do this again let's get back together and do this yeah i mean i think I think there was a lot of miscommunication that happened when the guys originally left. And like, I think they, I think everyone just needed to grow up a little bit living with your brothers in the same house for 18 years. And then basically not even on the road with them or like not even moving out. Like none of us had even moved out when we started touring full time. So we were still like living in the same house and getting into a 15 passenger van and living in closer quarters while on the road. It's very stressful. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not exactly financially fun. Um, All of that just kind of led to, I think them wanting to just live life normally. And I totally understand where they're coming from. I, I lived and breathed the band for so long. um, And I, I think it was a little bit, uh, it was a little bit hard on my mental health. I think at some point, and I think a lot of bands struggle with that in the sense that like, when you don't know anything else, but your band, you constantly wake up every morning thinking, how do I stay relevant? How am I going to, you know, keep our fans? How am I going to get on like a big tour that will like financially make us money? It's like the worst place to possibly be. And I think my brothers were over it and they just wanted to work a standard job. Parker wanted to just go to school, um, do his thing. TJ just wanted to work a normal job. And I think that that time apart from all of them and just them doing their own thing and me doing my own thing. Uh, Cause I, I ended up finding a really good job in the mental health field, which I'm very passionate about myself now. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a huge thing. Cause now for me, the band isn't the only thing that matters. It's all my other things that I, I have passions for now. And the band is just something that is like a big hobby slash passion, but it's not the only thing that defines who I am. And I think, Parker and Kyle and TJ all found that same thing themselves. So when it came to coming back together, you know, it was us hanging out as friends rather than like business partners and just enjoying each other's company. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's like a whole year, 2018, 2019, maybe even close to 2020 where Kyle and I would just play pool like every day. He had, he bought a pool table, like a really nice old, like, 1930s 40s like slate pool table and we just started playing pool like every single day and got really close uh just playing all the time and that was when we started to be like you know it'd be really fun to maybe just start writing again like what do we have to lose like our band's not doing anything been on hiatus for a few years uh and then covid hit of course and so you know with us we we were hanging out more often than not because like there wasn't you know traveling wasn't really as big of a thing and we all lived in the same area. So we just go over to each other's houses and hang out and stuff. Uh, and that kind of just started the ideas. And then I think one day I was like, why don't we just come over to my house and we'll open up pro tools and see what we can come up with. And yeah, it just kind of happened organically. There was no forceful asking. There was no sit down conversation. It was more just like kind of in passing, like, why don't we see what happens? And that's where it kind of started. And we're talking Late 2019, early 2020. Yeah. yeah. And then you guys put this record together. Are you doing a tour to support it? Or is that? Uh, we're doing like, like a small little like three day run this Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Just kind okay. of Spokane, Portland and Boise, Idaho. So it's nothing too big. Uh, we we do have another tour coming up uh, at the end of June with Lightworker and Bloodlines. That's like going to audio feed. So it's like a, a week and a half long run. Uh, but we don't have anything like 
like we used to do where it's like a six week long tour. right yeah i bet not, that could get draining it's draining and like it's not realistic like my my kyle has two kids now uh parker's getting married in july i'm married now um andy has two kids uh and tj is you know he's he had brain surgery last year, which was very scary. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. They thought he had like a brain tumor, like a cancerous thing. It ended up being a very rare form of autoimmune disease. There's only like a hundred people or 200 people that have ever been documented with having what he has. So he's kind of like a brain study because I don't know what the heck he has and how people get it or what causes it. Um, So he's, he's not really able to tour a whole lot either because it's like, he has to go in and get tested a lot of times. Yeah, I bet he's got to probably be monitored and yeah, checked out quite often. And the band doesn't make enough money for him to quit or to stop working for, you know, six weeks. Like he's in a good position at his job and he wouldn't be able to take six weeks off and he needs the insurance from his company to keep doing all the stuff he's doing. So it's not realistic for him to leave at all um, right more than like a couple weeks at the most so our touring lifestyle that we used to do is not realistic and i i think a lot of bands have been transitioning to that i don't think like i you know there's bands out there that are still doing it like i'm just thinking like a band like Dayseeker or fit for a king like they're they're doing stuff that are like six weeks two months long tours you know but they're they're at a level now where they're making enough money that it, it all makes sense uh but a lot of bands just one tier down um, are you just don't make nearly as much money as you would just working a standard job. So you kind of got to find, you got to find a, a happy middle ground with it all. Mm-hmm. For sure. No, I, yeah, I can't imagine having to, I, I have lots of friends and bands that are touring constantly. And I, I just, like, oh my gosh, like, it's cool that you get to go over the whole, you know, country and the world and all these cool things. But like, I just get exhausted talking to them when they get, <laughs> when they come through Nashville or whatever, I'm like, how yeah. are you like, oh man, like it oh, seems so, so brutal. They never, uh, you, you, everyone always says, oh, it's so fun. You get to go to all these different cities and all these different places. Nah, you never do. You rarely, because <laughs> you, you, you spend the whole time traveling to that city. And then by the time uh-huh. you're there, you're either very tired because you've been driving all night and you sleep in your van or do something, or you just go to the nearest coffee shop just to get Wi-Fi to work on social media or do whatever yeah. you do. There's no, the only time I see bands actually having fun on tour are like when they're in tour bus level where like the tour guy can travel to the destination and then they sleep the whole time in their bunks and then they wake up, you know, in downtown, you know, Nashville and they're like, oh, let's go explore Nashville. Like that's the only time that it makes sense. But a lot of these guys, when they're still in the 15 passenger van state or the sprinter van state, nah, they're, they're so done. They just want to. Oh Yeah. Yeah. Even like, yeah, even the smaller, you know, buses or trailers or whatever. And like, unless you have an off day, right? I mean, you won't have a whole lot of time. You got to get there, sound check, then get warm, every, you know, everything else that comes along with it. Then you're like, okay, now it's time to leave. Go to the next city. And off days are kind of not even fun either because an off day means you're not making money. So everything that you're ah, good point. money that you're just wasting. And so oftentimes on our off day, like we would, our perfect tour that we would do would be like 30 days 29 shows one day off like that that was how our tours were set up because every single day you're losing money that you're not playing so you know and on that one day off all we would do was we would just sleep and yeah recharge all day recharge we do it usually halfway through the tour to like rest our vocals and and whatever um but that day would fly by because we're just sleeping the whole time so 
yeah, the off days are not for like tourism in any sort of way, but at, yeah. least, at least for us, they weren't. Yeah. That's wild, man. Well, I appreciate you uh, hanging out with me today, Dawson. This has been a lot of fun and yeah, dude. I think the sure. new record's awesome. And uh, I have one more quick question. I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. I think that the biggest advice that I can give, and it's hard one because I feel like some people, some people might not understand. Okay. I think that the biggest thing is people are constantly trying to be something else. They have a hard time finding their own identity. I don't know how you, I don't know how you find your own identity. Uh, I found mine. I just write what I like to write. I do what I like to do. I don't really look at someone and copy what they're doing hundred percent. And I think that especially these days, and we've written songs about it. It's like being original and trying to find like your own, your own person, whether it's how you play your guitar, how you sing. I think a lot of people will try to sing like their favorite vocalist. If they're a girl, they'll try to sing like Haley Williams or um, Ariana Grande or something. Uh, or if they're a guy, they try to, you know, sing like, I don't, I'm, not, I'm just making up some shit right now, but uh, the beebs. Nah, maybe. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I mean, copy his flow. Um, a lot yeah, of no, I know what you're saying. You try oh, to emulate your idols. Yeah. A lot of people try to copy Post Malone actually with like his vibrato and stuff. Oh. Uh, like that false, like really fast vibrato, and it's like kind of cringy when I hear people do that. It's like it's not you. Like I know that right. you sing like that. You're just trying to sound like that. So. I don't know. I, I always tell people like, try to find who you are and what you're, what you really are comfortable with. And if you think it's weird and it sounds different, well, that's actually probably a good thing. Like people want to hear something different. They don't want to hear, you know, post Malone 2.0. They want to hear you and who you are and what you bring to the table. So I don't know, I guess it sounds a little bit narcissistic though, because it's like, I can't really explain how to do that. And when I say that I've found it, I just come across as being egotistical. So, but I believe that I've found it and I really like the things I do. <laughs> <laughs>